0: Welcome to the Odds Pod. I'm Dave Hendrick.
1: And I'm Ben Hennessy. And we're the team behind the Scout Comics horror title, The Odds. A story that looks at the day to day lives of folks after a world ending catastrophe that answers big questions like what happens now? Why is that thing chasing me? And what wine do you pair with deep fried human ears?
0: Each week, we invite new guests on to share their favorite apocalypse stories with us. Be it the collapse of the United States into three megacities around an irradiated desert, the ingestion of six lost teens and their baby unicorn by a gelatinous cube. Let's face it, they're gone. Or Bowie announcing the death of Ziggy at the Hammersmith Odeon.
1: We'll divine devastation, clap for catastrophes and applaud Armageddon. So today's guest?
0: He's a writer, an editor, a dog and cat father, a New Yorker, a former wizarder and just a really decent human.
1: He's worked for Marvel and Valiant and currently edits the meta-history action epic that is The Old Guard. Which you may see popping up on your Netflix menus for the second time next year, and is in the midst of putting together a couple of his own titles as we speak.
0: He is the only man I've ever seen wear an orange boiler suit with the kind of confidence normally reserved for nepotism babies at an open casting call. He is, of course, Alejandro orbona
2: Thank you, gentlemen. What an, what a what a flattering and fun introduction.
0: Well, you know I we...
2: should say it's not an it's not an orange boiler suit, it's red.
0: Oh, my apologies.
2: Uh, or, orange Orange would be too prison like. <laughs> I also have a blue, I also have a blue one and a green one.
1: I've seen the oh, blue nice.
2: one.
0: I've definitely seen the blue. It's, one. The,
2: it's the best attire for the apocalypse. I'm just I'm just preparing.
1: Oh, you're ready. Oh, I like this. This yeah, is already right on yeah, right on. It's
2: comfortable and it's functional. Plenty of pockets, right? Lots of lots yeah. of pockets. Yeah.
0: Yeah, opportunities for tools and, you know, heads to hang hang from your uh, your belt and your belt loops. Um yeah, I think when did I see you in the it was at New York Comic Con a few years back, and that felt like an apocalypse as well. So, you mm. know, you were well prepared. Yeah,
2: It always does. I, it feels like we've rehearsed for pandemics simply yeah. by attending comic conventions. Was, we, we always come out of those with a, with a little endemic crisis, epidemic crisis, I mean.
0: Yeah, and, and an existential crisis usually. I don't know about you, but <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I find yeah. myself flying back across the Atlantic kind of thinking, why do I do this? I'm so tired it's now of my life <laughs> wow, Every time, you know And then a year later you're, you're, you're back flying the other way With a big smile on your face Going, can't wait This is going to be brilliant <laughs> yeah.
2: It's a vicious cycle oh, That it is that's why I try never
0: to go <laughs> So how are things with you? Are we well?
2: Oh, they're well They're well, you know We've just come out of a heat wave In New York City But it's been a heat wave everywhere yeah. Truly, really, it is a global, a global heat wave. Such a thing has never happened in my entire life, as yeah. far as I know.
0: Yeah, it's insane, man. Like, how, how
2: hot did it get over in New York? Um, not as I mean record-breaking hot for the date, but not catastrophically hot. We mm-hmm. could put it that way. It never got above 100 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's a relief. In many places, it did, though. You know, my niece wow. lives in Texas, and that was horrendous—triple-digit.
0: Yeah. Triple digit Fahrenheit heat. Man, I can't imagine. You know, it hit 30 here, which is what about ninety-six, is it? Ninety-six? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I say as if I know. I don't know. And <laughs> that was more than I ever that more heat than I ever want to experience. You know, I mean I've done I've done summers in New York where you can't walk around the block, you know, without having to go go and get a new t-shirt. But like just to have that in Dublin was insane, you know, walking out into a wall of hot air, you know, we're usually, Aww. usually walking out into a, into sideways rain, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I never, I never thought I'd miss the rain, but I certainly missed the rain this year.
1: I always love that kind of rain where it's not really raining, but for some reason, when you've arrived, you've realised you're soaking wet. It's like, what happened? Yeah, that we call that wet rain. Uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't see it, but yeah, it's the kind of rain that wet. The rain. Yeah, <laughs> walking
2: through a fun mist.
1: That's it. A, a fun mist. A nice time for it. I remember that.
0: Yeah, exactly, man. So yeah, it's it's it has been insane. I mean, I've friends in London who were you know were reduced to puddles over over the last couple of weeks. They they got. They got into the I suppose the the low hundreds. Um it was well over forty degrees at one point, you know, on, on our, you know, um on our side of things and it was just nuts. absolutely I can't imagine being in the tube which is not air conditioned. Um Oh. Yeah, it was just just murder, you know.
2: In New York City, one of the best uh, sources of relief for a heat wave is if you do have to go anywhere, the New York City subway is uh, absolutely a nice box. Yeah. It is highly refrigerated. So you can at least count on that. Of course, you have to wait in a station where it is a muggy. Uh, the station is always 20 degrees hotter than the outside uh-huh. uh, temperature. Yeah, And sometimes you're waiting in there for 10, to 10, 10 minutes and you feel like you would rather die.
0: And the heat gets the rats out as well. So, you know, you, you can you can hang out with them while you're waiting for your train. Mm, they can fan you with their tails. Fun times, <laughs>
1: I can Almost taste all of that by the air, Ugh. yeah. It's the, the pretty much the taste of you know
0: aer- aerosolized pea, you know. It's um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I love New York anyway. Moving on, so um, Alejandro, you're here. We you know, we we ask a very specific question of our guests, and uh, and look, we, we really want to get into this. We, we've had a sneak peek at what the answer is to this, and, and I can't wait to start talking about this. So, so over to you, Alejandro. What is your favorite apocalypse?
2: You know, I had a hard. I had a hard time picking at first. I thought I would talk about what they call gray goo, but I won't get into that in case one of your other guests brings it up someday. Uh, and I thought I would talk about some kind of. Uh, well, obviously, it would be fun to talk about some kind of pandemic-related apocalypse at this point in time. But ultimately, I realized that there's a topic that I have researched quite a bit, and I'm very passionate about. It is not actually an apocalypse. It is more like apocalypse preparedness, or in fact, it's really more like the lack of apocalypse preparedness. Uh, it's what they call uh, continuity of government, COG, C-O-G. It's an American uh, an American government uh, s- set of protocols to prepare for any kind of apocalyptic crisis, any kind of crisis level event. Um, in particular, when I first learned of the existence of this stuff was uh, when 9-11 happened. um Here in New York, within minutes of the Twin Towers falling, there were jets flying overhead. And George W. Bush disappeared for several hours. And Dick Cheney disappeared for several hours, then emerged quickly, and then disappeared again for several more days. Uh, This is basically all the public has ever seen of COG protocols in effect. Uh, COG refers to all of this. uh, You know, there's an entire an entire universe of, of, uh, of uh, operations and systems and buildings and vehicles in place at all times to prepare for, you know, essentially what would be a nuclear attack. Basically, yeah. you know, this was essentially built up during the cold war. So it was to prepare for nuclear attack. Here's what it is. On the morning of September 11th, when George Bush was, in a school reading a, uh, a, a, a children's book to some kids. And he found out that this attack was going on. First, he finished reading the story famously because allegedly he didn't want to create a panic. He wanted to know how it happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, he didn't know. He wanted to know what, ha- what happened to the pet goat. Then he was hustled outside. He was uh, boarded onto Air Force One. Air Force One took off, by all accounts, almost directly up. <laughs> which is something that apparently Air Force, only Air Force One can do. Right. It has some kind of emergency way of taking off where it becomes almost vertical. It just, it went a very short distance on the runway and then took off almost straight vertical. Um, and then at that point, he's, he's, that was around nine something in the morning and then right. he stayed aboard Air Force One, location unknown for two or three hours, only, only emerging in, at midday. Meanwhile, Dick Cheney was hustled into a bunker underneath the White House, one of the White House uh, preparedness bunkers, where, again, he disappeared for several hours. Um, and that that's just too, that's like the vehicular component and the bunker component yeah. of what is supposed to ensure that the office of the president and the functioning of government will continue during a crisis. This is, in fact, an entire network that includes planes, uh, all sorts of, a fleet of trucks, ships at sea, jets, fighter jets, uh, even secret trains—trains uh, trains. all across the all across the nation. But when they were first ever, you know, this this uh, this entire apparatus was built up during the Cold War. It was never really put into play before nine eleven. And on nine eleven, the first time that it was deployed beyond the level of a test or a drill it caused instant confusion and chaos and panic. And uh, in large part, because nobody knew what was going on and nobody knew where the president was and there was very poor communication. So I wanted to talk about kind of the, give you the overview of what the continuity of government is. Uh, some of the more fascinating stuff about it is just how extreme the services that different branches of government would yeah. offer. If there were to be a nuclear level attack, some kind Kind of huge biological attack, a zombie apocalypse, any kind of thing like that, it would fall to the post office to tally the dead, and if necessary, and this is more of a of a modern day thing, to distribute medication and vaccines.
0: Oh, cool! They, they chose no.
2: the post office for that. Yeah, well, they well, chose the post office for that, that because uh, because it's the only it's the only service that would be able to essentially reach every household in America within one day. Um, the attorney general carries a briefcase, which is nicknamed the FBI briefcase, similar to the president's famous nuclear football. Yeah. The FBI briefcase has detailed plans on all of what the FBI considers domestic threats who would be rounded up in the case of an emergency. So literally the attorney general has a briefcase with the names of people and addresses of people here in the U S American citizens who would be rounded up and imprisoned if if there should be that kind of crisis the uh, department of agriculture is who would distribute rationed food if it came to that um the, the national parks would be the people who run the refugee camps
0: okay.
2: uh, they are also the people who would evacuate all of america's vital landmarks and symbols for example special park rangers are ready to deploy to evacuate the declaration of independence to a secure location in a bunker, park wow. rangers would go and evacuate the Liberty Bell. Uh, they have all sorts of rules. For some reason, the Declaration so, of Independence is more. Hang on, can we just more-
0: can we just have a yeah, little? This
1: is a lot there.
0: Let's just pause for 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 reflection here. So, a nuclear strike. Okay, and that's the least outlandish apocalypse I can think of right now. A nuclear strike takes place on on American soil, and there are civil servants who are running all over the country. Doing kind of a a Nick Cage in National Treasure, picking up bits and pieces that they think are important. This is it's what... a, it's,
2: it's considered, I suppose, important for American morale that people should be able to see the Liberty Bell. Okay, <laughs> after after a catastrophic nuclear event. Awesome. Um, yeah, that and then amazing. one of my and then one of my favorite uh, uh, one of my favorite uh, features of all of this. Perhaps the strangest feature of all of this is the Federal Reserve, you know, America's basically central banking institution has, uh, you know, there are, I believe, 12 Federal Reserve facilities all across the nation. Each one has a shadow facility where they can evacuate to in the case of a crisis. And then one central facility uh, in a bunker inside a mountain is guarded against attack. It's it's guarded with anti-tank munitions, it's got lead shields that can close over the windows, and it has a vault, twenty thousand square feet in in capacity, which has stacks of cash nine feet high, seven hundred million individual pieces of currency worth over four billion dollars. Gotta save the money, you know. Well, the reason for that is yes, precisely to ensure that money retains its value Wow! so that, that they can put money into circulation so that cash does not lose all uh, value. And it's supposed, to, it's supposed to carry the economy through two years of an, of an emergency. The reasoning being that two years is how long it'll take for the mint to ramp back up and, and uh, create an entire new uh, uh, supply of cash. Right. So that's that's the kind of uh, emergency preparedness that they have.
1: So, how, how are they storing food? You're saying the Department of Agriculture distributes food to people. So, how, where are they storing that? Because surely they need more of that than they would the money, right?
2: Well, <laughs> there are there are food rations which are supposed to withstand, uh, you know, which are supposed to withstand uh, emer- emergency state. And there's also things like there's a seed vault. Which would mean, you know, being able to put a lot of uh, agriculture back into production, but that just means starting crops all over again.
0: Yeah.
2: And also, famously, the U.S. government subsidizes the dairy industry, which means that they just simply buy way more cheese than the American public is capable of consuming, and they stockpile it. So, in Wisconsin, there is a, a cheese cave that just has a massive, massive amount of cheese.
1: Oh wow! Well, I you want know, to go not- there. <laughs>
2: Which I presume it's like, well, there's been a nuclear attack. Let's break out the cheese. Cheese, cheese all around.
0: <laughs> Gosh. I mean, you, you want to be really unfortunate to, you know, find yourself in a nuclear attack and then, you know, have to tell everybody that you're lactose intolerant. You know, that's oh, wow. that's got to be, yeah, that's got to suck.
1: You give that guy the cheese, it's a whole new apocalypse.
0: But I, I get yeah. the feeling, I get the feeling that, you know, with, you know, as always with bureauc- bureaucracy and, and, and civil servants in the mix, these things are never really all that Tom Clancy. They usually end up quite Armando Iannucci really. You know, there, there's
2: you you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, going back to the 9/11 example, that was not only the first time that the public saw uh COG in action. Oh, incidentally, I forgot to mention there's you know how people talk about DEFCON oh, yeah. or like defense readiness status. DEFCON 1 is the highest emergency status of a, of a national defense. Yep. They also rate CogCon. Oh, So okay. CogCon, CogCon four is the lowest status of alertness, and that's just regular everyday life. That's we're simply operating on an everyday level. CogCon one means all systems on high, uh, all systems in full operation. The shit has hit the fan. Yeah. Everything needs to go into overdrive. And there's so much readiness put into this that when you read about it, it strikes you as such a waste of money. You know, not only are all of these, there are bunkers and reinforced vaults and facilities all around the country, and they're all staffed at all times. They're all running at all times. Um, There is a plane that they call the Doomsday Plane, which is ready at all times for, you know, remote government function, uh, a command center in the case of nuclear war. That airplane is is on a runway in Omaha, Nebraska fully fueled with its engines running 24 seven. That's
0: just burning wow. air, jet fuel An
2: airplane. That, yes. Just burning fuel with its engines running at all times.
1: At so all it's times. It's a doomsday plane because it's bringing about this climate doomsday <laughs> a lot quicker than everything else around us. Yeah.
2: Truly. I mean, it is a fact that the biggest, uh, I could be mistaken about this, but I believe the biggest, uh, uh, polluter in the world, or at least in the United States is the military. For example, the fact that like, You know, they have tanks and trucks deployed in the Middle East that are just constantly getting dusty, and then they load them into cargo planes, fly them to the U.S., wash them down, load them, and fly them back to the Middle East. Wow. I don't know why. They simply, that's just the way they
0: operate. They don't have a car wash in Iraq? (laughs) What?
2: It'll just get dusty again.
0: (laughs) Is American water
1: better? This is it a happy wolf in american water uh, oh my <laughs> well, god well they
0: need to preserve
2: they need to preserve american jobs um, but yeah as you said the the fact that once you uh, you picture all of this being run by american bureaucracy it just becomes a complete clusterfuck on 911 when all of these protocols had to go into effect nobody knew how they worked nobody knew how, nobody knew where to go what to do <laughs> partly that's because the cold war had ended yeah you know m- more than 10 years before and nobody had kept their drills going you know like nobody very few people had firsthand memory of how these things were supposed to work they hadn't uh trained properly and all of that but at the same time it was simply a matter of some of the protocols that dictate how, how all of this is supposed to operate are uh classified beyond congressional uh authority right. like most of the members of congress cannot read the briefing documents on, on what they're supposed to do now That's hilarious. if there's suddenly if there's suddenly an attack, there are members of Congress who will be evacuated to bunkers and they don't even know it. You know, like uh, uh, a certain member of Congress or the energy secretary or whoever yeah. could be at their kid's uh, softball game and armed men will come and get them or a helicopter <laughs> will come and get them and they have to simply leave. And does that mean that they take it's at their kid's softball game? Would they take their kid with them or their or their spouse? No just them just them so as you can imagine a lot of people aren't even willing to do that sort of thing on on 9 11 donald rumsfeld was at the pentagon he had to be evacuated he refused he didn't want to leave uh the number four person in line to the presidency on that day was uh this uh famous senator robert bird formerly yeah. a, 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 a a famous racist who who i guess saw the light and changed his ways but Robert Berg did was in the Capitol. He was the president pro tem of the Senate at the time. At first, he didn't want to leave the Capitol. Then eventually he did uh, accede to be, he did allow himself to be evacuated and just proceeded to walk outside and talk to reporters, stood around talking to reporters. <laughs> just, and then finally, when when people were like, you have to, you have to leave, you can't be here anymore. Yeah. It is literally 9-11 <laughs> happening over here. <laughs> like that famous drill joke. Hey, 9-11 is happening. Yeah he, he was like, okay, fine. I'll evacuate. And he went home. Oh, that's what he did. He just went home. You know, other people uh, were in that kind of behavior. Dennis, Dennis Hastert, uh, speaker of the house, number three in line to the presidency, famous pedophile, uh, (laughs) evacuated the house and then just sort of like did the same thing, wandered around, went to a nearby, uh, went to a nearby consultant's office. Uh, and then eventually allowed himself to be taken somewhere secure, but only after like dithering and fucking around and not knowing where to go, yeah. there were all these, there were all these incidents of like people not knowing what, you know, Oh, we have to evacuate you to the, to the PEOC. I, I think it's called, which is like basically the presidential bunker yeah. and different members of Congress were like, w- they didn't know what the acronym stood for. I, I can't blame them. I can't remember what it stands for. But they didn't. They didn't know where to go. Well, in they, fairness, you know, it's not your job fa-
0: to know what it stands for, and your you know your livelihood won't depend on it. You know.
2: Yes, there's a famous anecdote about uh, by the time Cheney and a lot of the key support people had been locked down in bunkers, the um, deputy uh, deputy director of uh, who is it N- deputy national security advisor, someone someone like that, was on a video conference with the deputy secretary of state. Yeah, and while they were talking, CNN reported that the, that the secretary of state uh, building had been, had been bombed, you know, which was, which was misinformation was mistaken. But so they saw this on CNN and they said to, and you know, this guy, hang on, I have the names written down somewhere. The NSC guy says to the deputy secretary of state, like, has it, has has your building been bombed? Has your location been bombed? And the guy (laughs) replied like, does it fucking look like we've been bombed? You know, like, you're watching me and, he, and this guy replies like, yeah, but your building covers four blocks and you're behind a, a, a vault door. It could have happened. And he's like, okay, fine. Let me go find out. And as he's walking away, the uh, national security council guy says to him, like also you need to get to your cog, you know, pr- location. You need to activate your cog location. And he's like, okay, fine, fine. I will. And he wanders away from the teleconference Basically barking at staff, like, does anyone know where the hell our Cog, oh the COG facility is? You know, like they were completely unprepared for Amazing. this. It was a complete disaster. There was also famously the case of um, the jets that scrambled at the height of the Cold War. There were something like hundreds and hundreds of jets in readiness, fighter jets, yep. ready, ready for national defense. When nine eleven happened, they went to activate by th- by this point the the fleet of jets for national defense in the events of a Cog crisis had whittled down to just uh, a dozen or so. And there were two stationed in Massachusetts and two stationed somewhere on the eastern seaboard. And those four jets were, were the entire line of defense for the entire east, east coast. Wow. So two jets were deployed and were scrambled out of Massachusetts. And at first they didn't know where to go. So they were like, well, obviously we're going to have to go to war internationally. So they flew out over the Atlantic Ocean until eventually they were recalled and told no, 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 you have to be in New York city. So they flew back toward New York. And I mean, I was in New York city on September 11th. And I remember being on my rooftop, looking at the the smoke and the destruction and all of a sudden these two fighter jets fly overhead. It was terrifying. We didn't know who they were. We couldn't make out any markings. We just thought there were fighter jets all of a sudden over New York city. What's happening. Cause it caused panic. Then meanwhile, speaking of the doomsday plane, the doomsday plane was scrambled and it took off and they didn't know where to go either. So they just, the doomsday plane just, just straight up flew over to the white house and then just kept flying around restricted airspace
0: <laughs> above the white house. And was there anybody which on it people, at this stage? I mean, it,
2: it's, I believe, I believe that every, at all times it has a uh, sort of like, you know, critical staff aboard, like military The doomsday plane is, aboard. is,
0: is a de facto it's Congress. like a mobile command center. Okay, yeah. right.
2: So um, so it just starts flying over the White House and people are seeing a plane flying over the White House and right. they're like, well, there's another plane we go. about to attack. Yeah. Because at that point, all other flights have been grounded. Yeah. And above the White House is restricted airspace. You never see a plane over there. Suddenly here's this unmarked white jumbo jet flying around in circles. And then the further clowning is that the doomsday plane and the fighter jets and other support aircraft that were uh, deployed were basically sighting each other and saying, oh, I see another plane. Right. Oh, there's a plane there. And the, in the evening at the end of September 11th, uh, a FEMA airplane from Atlanta started to approach New York, had not yet been cleared for landing. And the two F-16s nearly shot it down. They were about, they were about to shoot it down when, oh they, were, God, when they were recalled and that jet was cleared for landing. So, it's a, so that's it's the kind of
1: disaster. It's a that well-oiled that oiled machine,
0: you know, all the parts, all the moving parts
1: <laughs> working well, together. That is, as I said, that is amazing So I I'd I this all day.
2: <laughs> as I said before, part of the reason that all went down so poorly is because by this point the Cold War was a distant memory and all of those systems were rusty and, and you know, not, not, not uh, drilled properly and, and none of that.
0: I just—I um, have an image of a, of a very, perfect? a very stressed out intern with a very dusty binder, <laughs> trying to yeah. get to the right page. You know, just oh man, the panic. Uh, uh,
1: I know it's in here somewhere. Oh, God, what am I supposed to do? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just sounds also... like if they were just as disciplined, this wouldn't have been as as much of a spoof comedy as it ended up being. I mean, for the doomsday plan to have been ready to take off at any given second and then when it gets off and not know what to do is like the best joke like, like ever i mean in oh terrible God, circumstances but yeah, yeah. Oh, well, absolutely but i mean like how like, did they not have a goal or a place to go to or a route to follow i mean but instead to fly over somewhere where they could possibly be shot down is I mean, wow, how do you write this? Like, that's crazy.
2: It truly is like a, a Dr. Strangelove level yeah. of satire. It's a satire of itself. And I mean, granted, at the height of the Cold War, all of these systems were a lot more, uh, probably a lot more right. vital and were paid more attention to. But at the same time, like I said, they never had to be deployed. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, uh, the the president's famous situation room didn't even exist until... The Bay of Pigs. When the Bay of Pigs invasion happened uh, and turned into a complete disaster, Mm -hmm. they realized that they needed some kind of central command office to manage this kind of crisis. So they built the Situation Room. And then the following year was the Cuban Missile Crisis. So that was essentially the first time the Situation Room was really called into action.
0: So they got their money's worth. (laughs) I'm sorry? They got their money's worth on the build, at least, you know. Oh yeah, that one. That one.
2: Really, that one really uh, yeah. paid off. But for example, NORAD, the air. You know this. NORAD, the famous air defense uh, 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 command. They, during the Cold War, they built a, an extensive headquarters uh, in uh, in uh, Cheyenne Mountain in uh, Colorado. Oh, yeah. So it's, they hollowed out a mountain and they built a series of three story buildings inside a mountain. The buildings were all mounted on springs to withstand nuclear attacks, so that in the event of the mountain getting bombed, that at least the buildings would have some kind of give. And in order to make the springs work, it was like everything had to be, had to be built around accommodating the entire building shaking. So all of the plumbing was was rubber and hoses, so that it wouldn't crack if the building started shaking.
0: Yeah,
2: and this entire facility was designed to be sealed shut in the event of an attack you know it had a a massive vault door uh that would be sealed that vault door was never ever ever closed ever until it was closed for the first time for a 24-hour test during the obama administration okay that was the first time that facility was ever even sealed shut just for just for a drill and just did,
0: for a test did everybody suffocate and die or, or was it was it okay <laughs> No,
2: it went okay. It went okay. It went okay. But I mean, we're also talking about Norad, which is today most famous for tracking Santa Claus yeah. on yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah.
0: I've always been a bit suspicious of that. It's like, are they going to target him? You know, if he doesn't have the right <laughs> visas, like, you know.
2: I've seen <laughs> like in The Nightmare Before Christmas, <laughs> you see a, 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 a cannon firing a shell at Santa Claus. <laughs> and there are lots of stories like that. You know, after the... after. The first world. War, sorry, after the second world. After the first world war. After the second world war, um, the government suddenly panicked about you know if we dropped a bomb on Hiroshima, they could drop bombs on us. Yeah. So they suddenly started uh, preparing for the fact that somebody could drop a bomb on Washington D.C. So in uh, I think 1948, Harry Truman uh, uh, had the White House renovated just that just had that white house renovated yeah. and under cover of the renovation, they built a, a, a fallout shelter, like a bunker underneath the North lawn. Amazing. And then that was, that was like the primary uh, government, uh, the primary presidential bunker for that kind of event. And it continued to be used until just recently uh, just during the Obama presidency, they completely renovated it again. You know, the, the they did this incredible renovation projects, uh, with lots of independent contractors and Army Corps of Engineers, top top security clearance. They actually erected walls to prevent anybody from seeing into the construction site. Um, they instructed the uh, construction companies and the contractors that they hired to cover up their logos on their trucks and everything with tape oh, no. so that nobody would know who was doing the work. Oh. And they uh, dug up this underground bunker and completely reinforced it and expanded it and renovated it. Wow. Um, there was also a time when they built. There's a there's a facility that was built during the Eisenhower presidency called Project X, <laughs> which is um, <laughs> which is built underneath the Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia, a right. fancy a fancy mountainside resort, yeah. with, You know, with natural healing waters, et cetera, et cetera. And underneath is Project X, which is a shadow capital. It's essentially like another congressional headquarters so wow. that the entire house and senate could be evacuated to a remote facility yeah.
0: and is that of course that was still a thing or you know well these the, these things
2: evolved through you know at first they built as i said this shadow capital project yeah. x and then over time they realized well we don't want everybody all in one place so then they started to expand and uh, erect multiple sites at multiple locations, you know, for, for essentially for full readiness. And it wasn't until the Reagan administration that they even came up with the concept of the designated survivor. Yeah. You know, that, that yeah. was during, during Reagan's first term, I think shortly after his inauguration, there was a big presidential address with all of the government gathered and what, you know, the same thing they do now for state of the union or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and one government official who was very excited to attend was told, hey, listen, good news, bad news. <laughs> the bad news is you don't get to go to the presidential address. Mm. The good news is if that building is destroyed, you'll be the president. Oh. And he was the first ever designated survivor.
0: Wow. And where was he on the uh, the packing order?
2: Uh, I don't recall. I think he was he was some member of the cabinet. He might have yeah. been like energy secretary or something right. like that. I don't have it handy. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but, you know, they usually do that with... Um, they'll usually do that with somebody maybe like number five or lower yeah. because for example, if it's a state of the union address, the president and vice president and the speaker of the house, all three are there and they that's, to there, yeah. you know, that's number one, two, and three. Yeah.
0: And then of course
2: the whole, uh, house and Senate are there. And usually the, um, the president of the Senate, if there's a, if there's a president pro tem of the Senate, meaning not the vice president, and mm-hmm. that's usually uh, person number four in the order of succession. Yeah. So at least as far as that, they will all be present for some kind of presidential address like that. Yeah. So it's usually maybe five and below is where, is where they go for designated survivor.
0: My mind is wandering now and I'm 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 thinking, you know, who of the rogues gallery that was Donald Trump's cabinet would have been designated survivor there? I mean are we talking? Um, are we talking Mnuchin? Are we talking?
2: Like, God, such, such could you weird. imagine? When I was preparing my notes for this, I actually came across uh, the person who became designated survivor during his inauguration in 2017. Oh yeah, but I didn't. I did not write it down. That's no, okay. I don't have it <laughs> handy. But it, but it's not any of the. Yeah, it's not any of the of the big clowns that you're the used
0: big to clowns. <laughs> just a minor clown yeah a lesser (laughs) a lesser idiot yeah one of the, oh oh my god man that's that's amazing go
2: ahead go ahead there's a famous anecdote uh uh, from um uh there was an episode of the west wing yeah where they did a where they did an an episode that involved continuity of government protocols i forget how aaron sorkin found out about it but he wrote it into the show and the plot I don't know the West Wing super well, so I don't know who the character was or anything, but Im- involved a character in the show has a card in their wallet, which designates them one of the people who would be evacuated in the event of this, this kind of crisis.
0: All right. Okay. It's like my G.I. My uh, Joe, Joe membership card, like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah.
2: And when they would write and, and produce and shoot the West Wing, they always, had like a political consultant would be on hand to you know basically ensure accuracy yeah and this political consultant saw this whole plot with the with the card that you know that the that the press secretary has a card that that designates them as a member of cog and the actual member of the of the u.s government went to aaron sorkin and said you know that's very charming and all but those cards are are an urban legend like this doesn't actually exist yeah yeah. And Aaron Sorkin was like, no, yeah, it does. It does actually exist. Um, this program was so classified. It's like what I said before about how uh, a lot of members of Congress were, it was classified even beyond their their ability to access it. A lot of members of government don't even know that this program exists. Right, okay. As, as evinced by that anecdote of that person being like, that's cute and all, but this program isn't actually real. But how that's did Sorkin admit. know? Well, part of at, as the Cold War went on and wound down and ended, uh, a lot of the reason that this program became more and more uh, uh, pointless was because all of the things that were supposed to be top secret became less and less secret. Okay. <laughs> For example, some of the key some of the key facilities, like there was a facility called Raven Rock, and there was a facility called Mount Weather. Uh, I love. Who the were names. supposed to be. Yes. These were supposed to be top secret facilities, unknown locations, you know, to make them impervious to attack or to, or to not risk attack. But as the Cold War went on, more and more people would find out where these where these places were. I mean yeah. the location of Raven Rock is now publicly known. Mount Weather is publicly known. You know, these these are facilities that are no longer as as top secret. So a lot of this stuff just starts to become sort of common knowledge or as that person believed, urban legend maybe you don't fully believe it, but you've heard of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so it got to the point when all of these things that were supposed to be top secret were laughably not top secret. A great open secret. I mean, part of the reason on 9-11 why the Doomsday Plane caused so much panic is that even though people were seeing it with their eyes, the Air Force refused to acknowledge that it was there.
0: Oh, and wow. when reporters
2: would ask God. about it, yeah, when reporters would ask about it, the government would deny its existence and I'm like no there is no there's no yeah. so there was there was like, rolling
1: tony what's a murder you know yeah. there were yeah.
0: rolling updates uh, like i remember that day well as i'm sure i'm sure you do more, more than any of us and um you know there was rolling updates on on, on the news the, the the white house press office was keeping people up to date as best they could i believe but the president was nowhere to be to be found so i suppose when the press corps were pushing for answers and the, the the white house just couldn't give it to them they just couldn't give them any information
2: here's another uh here's another funny comedy of errors of that day yes the president's location was supposed to be a secret but it at first it was the same thing that happened with everyone else he got into air force one and they took off and then they simply didn't know where to go yeah they didn't know if they should go to Raven Rock near camp david they didn't know if they should go to one of the other bunkers. So instead they figured let's just stay in the air. That's it. Let's just stay in the air. Fly around. That way no one will know where we are. Yeah. Um, which air force one is qualified to do, but at some point they had to refuel. Yeah. So they flew to some air force base to refuel. As you said, the, the white house press corps, they're keeping this a secret. They couldn't, they couldn't, um, uh, they wouldn't reveal the, you know, the landing, uh, the, the location of Air Force One on or, or anything.
1: Death.
2: Yeah. He was flying to an Air Force uh, base, I think, on the West Coast. It was supposed to remain top secret. But as the plane approached and came in for a landing, the local press in that area were like, oh, Air Force One is, <laughs> is coming in for a landing. <laughs> so the, na- the national press are not reporting it. The White House press office is keeping it a tight lip secret. Yeah. And then the Channel Channel 4 News yeah. in that town yeah. is showing a, a, a shot of Air Force One coming yeah. in for a landing
0: wow oh man, my god
2: the, the entire the entire secrecy the entire security yeah. apparatus is laughably inadequate when it actually comes down to it
1: Blown I, by I love it. when you start talking about apocalypses and it's usually like what do you what do you do for toilet roll, or what do you do for uh you know like you're, you're wrapping magazines around your forearm to no stop zombies biting your forearm as you're trying to push them away all these little things and as you kind of think about people kind of making their way through these little little, little advantages you're trying to come up with. Um you think government have it sussed. You know, they go to this big easy bunker, they have years of food, they have a place to go farm afterwards, and then you hear stories like this, they go, Well, they're and it doesn't matter what level you are, you're you're still in a bad place. Yeah, you know? man,
0: you're 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 nothing in, in in the face of a local Fox affiliate, really, are you? You know they're <laughs> gonna they're gonna blow your cover, and that's that's the end of you. Man, that's insane. The best, the best laid plans. Were there journos on Air Force One at that stage? Because they usually carry a contingent of journalists or or at least, you know, hand-picked ones who who record the president's day and, the uh, and, and all that, you know?
2: I'm not 100% sure, yeah. but if I had to guess, I would assume that whatever journalists had been traveling with them that day were probably not brought back onto the plane when it took off. Yeah, okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Although yeah. that reminds me of a detail, which is when the plane was flying around, Maybe there were journals aboard, actually, because when the plane was flying around, the, one of the first things they, they did was they had to make up some kind of uh, safety protocol that they did not actually prepare for. Um, but one of the things they did was that they had to verify the identity of everyone that was up aboard the plane. Right. So whatever, you know, executive assistant or maybe a reporter was there, they had to show their credentials again. They had to show their passport. Uh, the, you know, the, the the secret service had to confirm that it was actually them. And that was all improvised on the fly. That was basically like, we're in the air, we're in danger. What are we going to do? We don't know. We better
0: just start winging
1: it. be very funny if, if George W. Bush left his passport at home that day. (laughs) (laughs) He
0: couldn't verify who he was. Yeah. It's like, oh.
1: Yeah, just uh, like I'm staying here, guys.
0: There's just some secret service guy with this picture of like traffic lights, and he's like, pick, pick, <laughs> pick the squares that have the traffic lights. You're not a robot. Um, that's that's insane, man. Like, I just you know, going back to all that, um, back in the day, like it's just mind blowing. All those, all those little details, and you know, we very much had an image of America probably you know wounded but defiant against you know the the attackers um and then when you when you get under the skin of it you kind of realize just how human everything is and how frail everything is when 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 you know when tested you know so like bureaucracy usually falls apart when when it's actually applied to to, to real life and and this was this was no different you know
2: in the case of 911 also famously Uh, it's been, it's been widely talked about how 9-11 was really a failure of imagination in many ways. Uh, the fact that, uh, the fact that the president's security briefing had warned, had warned that Osama bin Laden would attack with airplanes and it was Mm -hmm. ignored. Uh, there's also an account of how, when they were preparing for all sorts of, um, contingencies of it, the, 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 the cog, um. Contingencies of the kinds of attacks they had to prepare for. One of the uh, one of the scenarios that the Defense Department wanted to prepare for was uh, an airliner loaded with explosives crashing somewhere. And the government said no. The government said no. That's ridiculous. Let's right. not prepare for that. Actually, so you know, part of the failure of Cog on that day is that it was out of date. It was it was. Uh, an entire apparatus designed to guard against a threat that no longer existed. Yeah. And the threat that actually came was completely irregular and completely unexpected and unpredictable. Yeah. And so then it was just a, a lot of scrambling. Now here's the sad epilogue to all of this story mm-hmm. after the cold war.
0: Yeah.
2: Obviously after the cold war, the entire continuity of government uh, 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 machinery essentially started to fall into uh, disrepair started to age out of relevance. 9-11 happened. By 9-11, all that was left essentially was the network of bunkers across the nation um, and a communications apparatus that was predicated on phone lines and floppy disks. You know, it was decades old. And then the government response after 9-11 was not, well, it's time to mothball this program and come up with something better. Instead, it was well, we've got to rebuild this program back up to its former glory. And after nine 11 and even worse after, uh, after Obama took office, uh, there's been a re ramping up of all the existing continuity of government structure back up to its former size and beyond. So now by today they've built more bunkers, they've built more emergency runways, uh, you know, a, a lot of this has essentially gone back up to its former strength and and beyond even that. But a lot of it is still predicated on, you know, evacuations that have to be conducted with a fleet of helicopters, which are aging beyond, uh, uh, you know, aging into obsolescence. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of facilities that are still using um, dial up, you know, di- dial up modems and landlines and yeah. floppy disks. Uh, uh, I read about a facility. Where military personnel, and I'm talking about you know teenagers and twenty somethings, soldiers, uh, have to have to operate all of their software with floppy disks. Then most of them have never even seen floppy disks. They show up there. They show up there to start their training. And they're told, here's how you, you know, here's how you yeah. activate this. Computer what the hell system is this? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, it looks like the save icon, but not like anything other. Than it, <laughs> it looks like the save icon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> really? They have so little memory on them. I like, mean, what's the, like a whole, like 20 kg of weight K. to carry all the yeah. stuff they need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that,
0: that's, that's phenomenal, man. That is unreal. I remember hearing a while ago that the, the British nuclear submarine system, Trident, that ran on Windows XP and Ugh. and it still runs on Windows XP and it got into the news because Microsoft kind of threw their hands up and said we're not supporting it anymore mm. you know we've told them we're, we're not going to be sending you updates by floppy disk I, I would imagine um on uh, <laughs> uh, for for your system so you better upgrade it and and they they didn't i believe <laughs> they 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 don't they still work on XP
2: it's opportune that you mention uh, a British protocol because, uh, as you can imagine, a lot of the, especially the Allies, mm. you know, fo- following following America's cues as, as all of the Allied nations did after World War II, when the U.S. basically imposed standardization on the world, uh, and made itself appointed itself leader, um, a lot of uh, a lot of the Western nations also started to enact continuity of government programs of their own. But uh, in this day and age, after the Cold War ended, uh, America is the only country that, that keeps it up. So a lot of countries like England um, that had facilities, bunkers, etc., yeah. have since sold them. They've sold them into essentially into private ownership.
0: Oh, right. Okay. Wow. So Russians yeah. own them now. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I remember reading that Northern Ireland had a facility that they basically sold to someone that it just became you know became privately held real estate oh okay funny and funny enough england was the first country that did anything like continuity of government even before america um in the 1930s when england could kind of anticipate that war was coming Mm -hmm. they started to build up a network of literally underground offices under whitehall yeah uh and I could be mistaken, but I believe that's the first of any kind of what they would call continuity of government. There was uh, a little known uh, government official called George Rance, whose job was essentially to just apportion, you know, to just to just get equipment and furniture and staff for all of these offices. And what he would do is that he would monitor any kind of requisition from any government office. So if a government office requested 400 desks, he would change the order for 400 desks to 800 desks. Right. And then that branch of government would purchase double whatever they wanted and they would get their initial order and the surplus would go to the secret offices under Whitehall. Very good. And so that, and that way they, in that way they hid the budgeting within the budget of regular government operations. Yeah. While they're getting telephone equipment desks.
1: I bet mean, there's another poor intern, like who's getting blamed for ordering twice the <laughs> amount and it never showed up and maybe it's the same intern, you know, they left the UK, went over to, to go over to the States and then they're dealing with a dusty oh. uh, uh, board, you know, tough life for that yeah, guy. Yeah yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Insane, man. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, they'd want to be, they'd want to be handy at the audits as well, wouldn't they? You know, <laughs> no, just change that to an eight. It's fine. Just, it's fine. Just yeah, no, 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 Somebody, no, no.
2: Some Shh. some accountant some accountant would would call attention to it. Why yeah. have you purchased double the amount of typewriters yeah. and didn't get them? Oh, direct your question to George Rance. George yeah. Rance goes, "Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry yeah.
0: about it." He just, put, he just puts the accountant up on charges. You know, no, you're on treason. Off you go. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's it. He's gone. Amazing, man. Like it, it's it's a fascinating topic, and we've only scratched the surface with it. And, yeah, you know,
1: I like, think we could talk to you in an hour about that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, wow.
0: I feel, I feel like if there's any resources out there on it, if people are, are listening and they're, they're interested in it, we'll, we'll get what we can into the episode description as well. So, so people can do, do their own research and follow well, up. Well, I
2: recommend there's, uh, there's one, there's if there's one book I recommend it's, there's a book called Raven rock okay. by a, a, journalist named Garrett Graff. And that is like, that's how I first, uh, that's how I first started to started to learn about this topic. That's what first took me onto it.
0: Awesome. Like, Okay, well, well,
2: just the we'll
0: oof. put a link in for in for that as well. Right, just on your point, although, on, on, although funny funny enough. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, funny enough, um, I didn't. I didn't
2: know about all this until I started to learn about it in the past decade or so. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me when I was learning about it that in the 90s and the early 2000s, I read a book of Being Digital by a guy called Nicholas Negroponte, who oh, yeah. was the founder of the. Uh, he was the founder of the MIT Media Lab. And he's sort of a renowned futurist. Yep. And so this book is full of like future technology. He wrote it in the nineties and it's full of uh, predictions of future technology and things like that. Uh, in the book, he told an anecdote about how in the 1970s, the agency that at that time was called ARPA, which later became DARPA, yeah. uh, commissioned uh, a research and prototype into some kind of real time uh, teleconferencing software. Yeah, essentially because they figured we need to have five people in different locations, be able to talk in real time. Of course, today, that would just be Zoom. You know, that's just what they do with the Situation Mm -hmm. Room or whatever. But the prototype that these people came up with in the mid 1970s was a conference table where every every one of five individuals would sit at a certain appointed seat. I'm talking about the president, the vice president, you know, maybe the secretary of defense, Mm -hmm. the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff they would each sit at a certain seat and then at each separate location, each person would sit in their own corresponding seat and every other seat at each location was, uh, was filled with a essentially a mannequin with a head mounted on a swivel. I actually, I, I I found this, check this out. I found this passage in the book and I bookmarked it. Go for it. Uh, here's, here's, here's with his uh, description. Um, our solution was to replicate each person's head four times with a life-size translucent mask in the exact shape of that person's face. Each mask was mounted on gimbals with two degrees of freedom so it could nod and the head could turn. Perfectly registered video was projected inside of it. This is the mid-1970s, so I don't know how perfectly registered
1: yeah, it yeah. would be. That's a creepy room, like, so. The you know? The Westworlding,
2: the... Yeah. He goes on to describe it. The cabinet. Each site was composed of one real person and four bobbing plastic heads sitting around a table in the same order. Each person's video image and head position was captured and transmitted. If the president turned and spoke to the vice president, the secretary of state would see their respective plastic heads do so Dude. at his at his site. Then in the, he goes on to say that he later talked to one of the military people who was reviewing the you know who was present for all of this development and who reviewed the prototype. Yeah. And that man told him that it gave him nightmares.
0: Yeah. yeah i you know, am yeah, gonna have them now. I mean who wants to live through an apocalypse <laughs> if that's if that's your job in the morning, you know? It's like so so we survived, great. Why am I surrounded by these horrific translucent video people? Oh no, no thank you. Plast, no. Plastic heads on swivels. Yeah. I mean, how long does it Looking take at putting
1: stupid signs on their back or on top of their heads or see little faces? Like, I mean, inevitably, you know,
0: yeah. someone's going to get bored and try and shag one of them as well. <laughs> like, that's the other thing, you know? It's like...
1: Yeah, just really awkward in that uh, next meeting where he refers to the president as his wife or something. You know?
0: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> well, plastic is wipeable. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, awful. Oh, absolutely awful. Oh my God, man. There's, there, yeah, there's, as I said, we've only scratched the surface. There's so much yeah. more on, of this stuff and I want to, I want to, I want to find out about it all. That's fantastic.
2: Here's like, one of the things I find, one thing I find the most disappointing, though, is as I as I mentioned before, the post office is tasked with yeah. being able to access the entire U.S. population within one day before, uh, you know, before, when, in the Cold War, the post office was supposed to be the department that would tally the dead. Yeah. You know, or c- conduct a census. But after the Cold War and after Obama kind of oversaw uh, a revitalization of of the continuity of government. They retooled the post office's duties to include distributing medications or even vaccines.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So why? So why did we not all get vaccinated in one day with the COVID yeah. vaccine? <laughs> why was... did that? Why didn't I have a, a mail um, a postal worker come to my door and give me the COVID vaccine? But
0: in in the interim, wasn't the post office more or less defunded?
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, no end of. Didn't no Trump want to kill us? There's another famous anecdote about the post office in the time of COVID, which is that they, the post office spoke up and said that they would take it upon themselves to, to deliver three masks or whatever per household, yeah. per individual. And then Donald Trump uh, said no and, and instructed them not to. Right. They were ready. They were going yeah. to do it. They had the masks, and they were going to deliver them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and there's, there's a whole other, too. there's a whole other podcast in that where you're looking at these kind of um, apparatus of the state and these these nationalized bodies that are being run for for profit, and you know they shouldn't be. They should just, you know, they they should just do their job, and you know, we 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 pay for that service through other other means. You know, they they shouldn't have to hit sales targets um to, mm-hmm. to justify their existence you know but we can we could talk about that all night so listen we, we'll move it along so so um alejandro there is one other question which is your your least favorite apocalypse Any any thoughts well, on
2: that <laughs> coming on the tail end of a global heat wave uh, i would have to say that my least favorite apocalypse is the climate apocalypse that we are living through even as we speak yeah man. i mean we were just talking earlier about how there's been this global heat wave ongoing, but the fact is that it's only going to get hotter year mm-hmm. after year. And, uh, it's especially infuriating and frustrating. And, you know, frankly makes me feel, uh, insane that we could perhaps halt this, but anybody with the power to, to, to help, to help that happen simply refuses to do it. Yeah. And, uh, Oh, I don't even want to talk about this because I get so, uh, just insane about it. Yeah. Sorry, not to, not to use ableist language, but it just, it just makes me feel crazy.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's infuriating. I mean, if, yeah, you know, a while ago, I got I got a little bit curious about you know I'm, I'm I'm always I'm I'm quite nostalgic. I don't know if you can see around the room here, but it's covered in, in, mm-hmm. in shit from my childhood or whatever. But um, I was you know something that featured really really prominently when I was a kid was the ozone layer, the hole in the ozone layer. We've got to do something about this giant hole in the sky, you know. And when you're a kid, and you hear this, you're like, yes, of course we have to do something about a giant hole in the sky. I mean that you know that's that's insane. We, you know it's gonna it's gonna end us all. So I looked it up. To see how we were doing, you know, on the ozone uh, layer, and it's the hole's almost gone. It worked. Yeah, it's good, recovered
1: yeah. for it. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It worked. Everything. We, we banned the
2: we banned the chlorofluorocarbon. That was it, man. We, we stopped. We stopped pumping that into the atmosphere. Yeah, and the hole repaired itself.
0: Exactly. So what happened to us that we could? You know Enact legislation Globally to, mm-hmm. to ban CFCs To fix The hole in the ozone there That like What happened to us In the interim That we We can't actually Get it together As a planet To prevent This from happening now You know I, I don't get it I mean it's there's There's been a Been a sea change In thought I, I don't know if it's yeah, if plastic it's bank charge profit, doesn't really seem to be you know, enough.
1: Productivity,
0: <laughs> you're like what is it? What is it that's that's preventing us from from you know doing something about about this you know almost inevitable? Yeah, it's, especially,
2: it's especially frustrating, but I think it just comes down to the fact that there's too much profit. There's too much profit in continuing to do things the way they're being done. Yeah. And the worst things get in the world for all of us, the better they're going to get for a very, very small and ever shrinking minority. An ever smaller minority of the ultra-wealthy are going to, you know, they're going to get wealthier and wealthier, mm-hmm. even as the rest of us suffer more and more. I mean, I don't know what their, what could their possible goal be? That the fact that they can get as wealthy as possible before they die and they'll be dead before it gets any worse? Because well, climate change space, is they? eventually going to, yeah, exactly, get out of here.
0: I'd gladly <laughs> let I mean, them go it, into space. Go- That's fine. They can all fuck off to space you know um but i
2: can't imagine there's any degree of wealth i can't imagine there's any degree of wealth that would shield you from the consequences of climate change to some degree uh i remember somebody once joked about like there was a headline that said that raspberries would essentially die out and it was like even if you even if the Worst consequences you face are, oh, I can't get raspberries anymore. If you're so wealthy that you're shielded from all of the worst kinds of uh, uh, after effects and you're like, oh, why can't I get fresh fruit? I mean, that alone is like, uh, and of course, the consequences of climate change are far reaching. It's not just that the Mm -hmm. world will get hotter. It's also that we're going to start to have resource wars. You know, water is going to become a, a resource that we go to war over.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, And it's the displacement of people. It's the movement of refugees from one part of the world to another. It's going to continue to happen.
1: I forget what I was feeling myself, but I think there's people already buying water reserves. So they they have it, you know, come come the day that it becomes the thing that we all desperately need.
0: If I was north of the border, you know, if I was running Canada right now, I'd be very suspicious about the neighbours, you know, because they're, you know, the, the the difference in the quality of water up there you know <laughs> in, you know and 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 the abundance of it um in comparison to to what's what's further what's further south you know i'd be i'd be very very just like i was saying recently to the guys on, on another show um ireland is probably looking very tasty at the moment to an awful lot of countries you know we're we're out here on our own a little island very mm-hmm. green filled with natural resources you know um and, 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 and quite a lot of decent sheep. And, you know, we could, uh, we could, we could certainly, uh, make a difference for a couple of hundred billionaires, you know, if, 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 if the worst gets the
1: worst, you know, it's, it's a fairly tasty proposition. I was looking that up after our conversation and yeah. our hottest and our coldest days in comparison to the rest of the world have had their hottest and coldest days recently as well. Like we're still very mid tier, yeah, in like comparison to the extremes that everyone else is getting, you know. So yeah, we'll we'll last a little bit longer, maybe. Mid-tier. You know,
0: mid tier, all the all the I cheese mean, you can eat as well, you know. So, yes, so yes, yes, Wisconsin, yeah. yeah. Wexford is known for his
2: cheese. Hmm. I've read that in the United States, uh, as the coasts become more unlivable, and as the South gets hotter and hotter, eventually at some point, the Midwest, everything around the Great Lakes, is going to be the most temperate and the most pleasant part of the country. So cool. there's a part of me that was like, let me just preemptively move there. Yeah. And of course at this point you're also not, maybe you're avoiding unpleasant weather, but you're also moving yourself into greater and greater social and political problems by yeah. moving to certain parts of the country.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Big time, man. Um,
2: a part of me just wants to move to Canada. But then as you, as you point out, maybe I'll move to Canada just in time for the U S to invade it for yeah. water. <laughs>
0: Well, hey, Monies you know, either world. either way, you win, you know. Um, <laughs> depending on on which passport you're using that day, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alejandro, let's let's not end things on a on a on a downer. Yeah. Let's uh, let's have a look at things to look forward to. So, um, we asked you for for three things you're looking forward to over over the next while. What did you come up with?
2: Yes, yeah, so the first one I told you is in fact a downer. Uh, but with things being the way they are, with the state of things in the world, I increasingly look forward more and more to certain people dying. So that's, a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing that I dedicate a lot of energy to is, is hoping. Don't miss your learning. words. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not I'm certainly not going to do anything about it. I'm talking about natural causes only, of course. But yeah, you know, someday Mitch McConnell will die and I'll be very, very happy. Uh, <laughs> is that I a sniper sell- rifle behind you? Oh please! Oh, you're gonna get me in trouble. No, gonna get you're gonna get me put on a watch list. Yeah, yeah. We'll add it. Daughter. You're gonna get me added to that FBI briefcase. <laughs> uh, you know, I did. You know, when when Anton and Scalia died, I was very happy, and sure. I, I, I keep a list of names like that. Of like, uh, I'll be I'll be very happy when Clarence Thomas, Jenny Thomas, a lot of these kinds of people. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean McConnell. I don't know if he can die. He, he might just ascend into some other form, you know, like a Skeksis, uh, you, know, you, know, or, you know, or maybe he'll just fall onto his back like the turtle that he is, and and, and that'll be the end of him.
2: Yeah. If anybody can beat death, I think he, he probably can, but yeah. I remain optimistic.
0: I mean, he I mean, may actually be dead. He's in death.
1: his 80s now, isn't he? Isn't he? McConnell. Is he? No,
0: I don't think he's 80 yet, is he? No. Oh. No, I'm not sure. I don't know. He might
1: be. I think he's
2: 144. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I was a kid, when I was when I was very little, I used to read Mad Magazine, especially at too young of an age because I used to read my brother's Mad magazines. Yeah. And I remember even then, I would hear about people like Jesse Helms and Strom Mm -hmm. Thurmond, who were so old and so odious, and I would be like, "Oh, these people are so." fucking evil. And now they're all dead now they're all in fucking hell. And then there's a whole other group of people like you know Mitch McConnell is just the, is just the new Strom Thurmond, but yeah. his turn will come. <laughs> yeah.
0: And well, then, actually, you
2: know then we'll still have to deal with Tom Cotton and the, the, these people will still be the next generation of odious old fucks as as they age into it. But
0: who, who was the guy in the news recently? It was part of the, the, the Jan Six thing. And uh, Josh Hawley. Oh, yeah, that was amazing. It caught <laughs> on <fist> camera. Pumping,
2: <laughs> the fist-pumping yeah. Josh Hawley, yeah. who then ran away.
0: <laughs> oh, and the cop called him a bitch. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hate that guy so much. Such an <laughs> asshole. Jesus, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just... That's another spoof, right, the proceedings something out of that and how it all actually went down. It's just unbelievable. Horrific. Stuff.
0: Yeah, I just... I don't know. Like, yeah, we're watching, we were watching it live. Everyone was watching it as, as it unfolded. and It was just really sad, you know, seeing what could happen. And then... You know, like I regularly see columns now in the, in the New York times where it's like, how close are we to a civil war? You know, it's, um, oh, yeah, yeah. the undercurrent is there, you
2: know? Yeah. It's looking high. I don't want to be pessimistic about it, but it seems more and more inevitable. That's, as there.
0: Uh, seems to be. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's push it's, on. It's, 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 let's it's push on. Up, yeah. <laughs> so this is, this
1: is meant to be the hopeful yeah. section of let's, the, let's get some unicorns and rainbows here, you know, just,
2: yeah. Well, this, the uh, the second thing I told you I'm looking forward to is is not something I can actually talk about publicly. But as you noted during the introduction, which now feels like so long ago, <laughs> um, yeah, I've you know I, I I work with Greg Rucka closely. I edit all of Greg Rucka's projects. I have mostly phased out all of my other freelance editing aside from work I do with Greg. Yeah. Uh, and that's because I'm building a, uh, I'm building up a writing career. And as we speak, I have a, a number of a small but growing number of projects, none of which, unfortunately, I can discuss publicly sure. yet because they're still unannounced. But I have uh, I have a, a graphic novel on the way. Oh, brilliant. Um, it's, I actually just got the very final batch of pencils for it today Fantastic. from the artist, cool. who sadly I can't say who it is, but it's a very cool artist. Um I have another another series I just planned to do with another publisher that now I'm going to start writing. I have another couple of pitches that are uh just getting onto their feet. Uh so the, yeah, in the near future I'm going to have somewhere between two two to four projects in the next you know, getting announced in the next year probably.
0: It's fantastic. That's something
2: I'm, I'm just looking forward to inor- enormously. But sadly I have nothing I can uh talk about yet. Uh, in any detail greater than that.
0: Well, don't worry. We, we, you know will, we will shout about them from the rooftops when, when, Absolutely. when they are announced. a oh, Twitter handle you well, want to put you. out
1: here at the moment so when, when you are announcing these things that people can check, follow you and check out when they're happening?
2: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. at uh, My handle is AlejandroBot, which is like my first name, but with robot appended to the end. It's just one word, AlejandroBot. Uh, and I'm also recently on Instagram. I just started Instagramming somewhat recently. I haven't really made it a part of my daily routine, but yeah. my, uh, username there is Mania, which is, uh, my last name, mania.
0: Cool. That's what we've got. Mania. Um, <laughs> and the third thing you're looking forward to, Alejandro, I saw this earlier and I thought this was great.
2: Uh, the third thing is a very personal, you have to celebrate your little personal, small personal joys, but I'm, I'm taking a, I'm taking a little vacation next month. And when I started to tell you about it, I realized that it was far more momentous than, than I even realized until yeah. I started describing it. But, uh, you know, all of my family lived far away. And for my entire adult life, for my entire career, all of my vacation time has just been dedicated to seeing my family. And uh, at any given job I had, whether it was Marvel or Valiant or anywhere else, it was whatever vacation time I had would all get used up whatever money I could afford to spend on trips would all get used up, you know, traveling to go see my, my far flung family at all of their diverse places. And eventually, you know, once in a while I would take a trip to go to a wedding or to go to some kind of work related thing or a convention, or just recently I was traveling in Europe, which was partly for weddings, but also partly to, uh, you know, go see Greg Recca in Italy. And I, I don't think, I don't think I can quite talk about this publicly except that I think at this point it is public knowledge, but the old guard two movie is filming in Italy. So during my Europe travels, we swung through Italy and visited the set of old guard two and that was a lot of fun. But every, every, every bit of travel and every trip I've ever taken has had some kind of agenda has been, you know, been Mm -hmm. work related. And so later, later this summer, I'm taking a week off and, and having a little vacation in the Catskill mountains. And I don't know if I've, Honestly, I don't know if I've ever had a vacation that was just purely for its own sake, with yeah, no, nice. with no, uh, you know, visit to someone, with no work component, anything like that. So I'm unreasonably excited. It's just one week. I rented a little cottage. We're going to we're taking a dog. We're going to drive out there. We're going to swim in the creek, and we're going to eat in a diner, and we're going to grill. And I'm just unreasonably excited. That sounds awesome. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: When I, when I was writing my list of things I'm looking forward to, and that, that one occurred to me and I was like, why should I be so excited for it? It's just a, it's just a vacation. And then I started to reflect on it and I realized I I don't think I've ever really taken a vacation Um, just unto itself. So yeah, I am unreasonably excited.
0: Yeah. Fantastic, Matt. And well-deserved as well. Um, Mm. Alejandro, thanks so much for joining us on The Oddspot. We really, we really appreciate it. We had a great uh, it time. It was
1: fantastic. Yeah, it was a little, thank I mean, you, I you. had to stop thank taking notes. I couldn't keep up with the information you were giving <laughs> us. It was uh, unbelievable. I mean, and so funny as well. I mean, like, I can't believe some of that stuff is real, you know?
2: <laughs> it, it boggles the mind. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for having me. It was so much fun to, to come on here and talk about
0: this. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Cheers.
1: Bye. Take care.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Odds Pod. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Look out for the odds coming soon from Scout Comics. And please tell us what your favourite apocalypse is. You can find me on Twitter at Bennessy. That's B-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y. And me on at Dave Hendrick. Big thanks to
0: our producer Adrian Carty and we'll see you at the end of the world.